All right. Well, good evening, everybody, and uh, welcome to Grace Community Church Wednesday night service. Uh, thank you all for coming in person, and thank you for tuning in if you're watching online. If this is your first time watching, uh, welcome. We're glad to have you. My name is Wade, if you don't know my name, and uh, we're glad you're here. Let me go ahead and pray for us, and we will get into tonight's message. Father, I just thank you for another opportunity to get up here and uh, share what you've laid on my heart. And God, I pray that you'll help us to just uh, be able to focus and see what it is you have to, to say to us tonight. Life is really hectic, and I just pray that you would help us, Lord, to, to just be able to tune out all the worries and the cares that we have from day to day and just take this time that you've given us, Lord, to just calm down and uh, pay attention and just focus on you for a little while. And we'll give you the glory for that. And it's in Jesus Christ's holy name that we do pray. Amen. Uh, like I said, good evening. I'm glad you're here. Uh, and I hope everybody's having a good week, enjoying some of this sunshine that we're having. I know I am. I've had enough of that rain. Uh, how many of y'all was here for family day? That was crazy. <laughs> uh, that weather was not so good. I remember I texted Josh a little later, and I told him I think that was one of the best family days we've ever had. Uh, didn't go as planned. You know, I know the rain, it made it memorable. We'll put it that way. I don't think anybody's going to forget that one. But I do think that was one of the best family days we've ever had because, you know, I think it's good for people to have good times together and have fun together. You know, that's, that is fun, and it's awesome. But I think it's just as important, you know, for us to go through hard times or crisis or, you know, just unexpected things like happened on family day. I think it's good for us to go through things like that together. I think it grows our relationships and it helps us to be able to grow closer and depend on each other. Uh, you know, when Josh was preaching on the value of family Sunday, and uh, that goes, you know, right along with tonight's message. I believe when we go through those challenging times together, it goes us closer together as a family. And, uh, you know, when I say family, I'm talking about our church family. I'm not talking about our relatives or our bloodline. I'm talking about people that we do everyday life with. You know, if we're honest, most of us see the people that we go to church with uh, or the people that we work with more than we do our relatives. I know I do anyway. Uh, but when I'm talking about family, I do mean relatives, too. But I'm, like I said, I believe a lot of times we're closer to the people that we spend our day-to-day -day life with than we are uh, with people that we're just related to, and especially those people that we share our faith with. Uh, if you were here last week, we talked about collateral damage and how that a life that's not surrendered to Christ can cause a lot of damage. You know, without the Holy Spirit, without the Holy Spirit's help and guidance, you know, we can say and do a lot of things that hurt the people that we love the most. Uh, because without the Holy Spirit, we're only concerned about ourselves. You know, without being led by the Holy Spirit, the only thing we're left with is our, our own nature, our own desires. You know, we're left being led by our soul and our old sin nature. And, uh, all that wants to do is take care of me, take care of number one. Uh, 
You know, like I said, without him, we're selfish by nature. And the only thing I'm worried about are my desires, my wants, and my needs. And uh, so I hope that message hit home to everybody last week. It really did with me. But uh, going back to family, if you have came to Christ and you have the Holy Spirit living and dwelling in you, but you have family members that have not came to Christ, you know, that's going to put a whole lot of strain on that relationship. I don't know about your family, but I know in my family, uh, I've got a lot of family members that are not surrendered to Christ. And I said a minute ago that a lot of times we're closer to the people that we go to church with and do life with than we are, we you know, with a lot of our relatives. And that, that's definitely the case in my family. Uh, Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 24 you know, it says a man that has friends must show himself friendly. And there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And I've heard a lot of people, you know, preach and say that that's talking about Jesus Christ. And uh, I believe that is talking about Jesus Christ, too. But I also think that's talking about people, you know, other believers in our lives that we're friends with and that we share our faith with versus a family member that doesn't know Christ. You know, a lot of times we have more faith in and uh, we'll seek the help of another believer that does believe, you know, quicker than we will somebody that we're related to that don't believe. And uh, I know a lot of times, and this is true in my family, our faith can actually separate us from our family members if we're surrendered to Christ and they're not, you know, if they're not willing to come to Jesus. And uh I always like to give you an example of what I'm talking about in Scripture. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10 and verses 34 through 38, He says, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. And what he's talking about there is, you know, if you're surrendered to Christ and you got somebody in your household that's not surrendered to Christ, then that's, you know, that's going to cause arguments between you. That's going to cause separation in your relationship and put a strain on it. And if we go on in verse 37, it says, He that loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that takes not his cross and follows after me is not worthy of me. Uh, like I said, I've got a lot of people in my family that are not surrendered to Christ. And it does put a strain on your relationships. You know, we just read in Proverbs where it said there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Uh, that wasn't always the case with me and my brother. We were inseparable as kids and uh, we did everything together you know I love my brother very much but his life is not surrendered to Jesus and that separates us now you know in our adult life you know I love him and he loves me and he only lives a few miles from me you know but we haven't seen each other in years you know we're not separated by distance we're separated by our faith uh you know, I'm surrendered to Christ, and he chooses not to be. And I don't mean I love him any less. I love my brother now just as much as I always have. And he loves me just as much as he always has. And, uh, you know, I'll text him every once in a while and 
you know, try to talk to him and try to get him to give his life to Jesus. And he sends me messages through my mom all the time. You know, most of the time it's just tell Wade I love him, you know. And I'll tell her, well, tell him I love him too. But uh, that's about the extent of our relationship right now. Like I said, we used to be really close. And the only thing that's changed between now and then is uh, I chose to surrender my life to Christ. I don't live the same way he does anymore. And, uh, you know, I don't hold that against him. He's living life the only way he's ever known. And uh, I used to be just like him. The only difference now and then is I've surrendered my life to Christ, and he hasn't. And uh, we're going in different directions. And that does break my heart. You know, like I said, I love my brother, and I'm sure you've got people in your life that you love too. And uh, you don't love them any less because they're not a follower of Christ. As a matter of fact, I think sometimes I love my brother even more because I know he's not surrendered to Christ. And that keeps him on my mind constantly. And uh, like I said, I'm sure all of us have family members that haven't surrendered to Christ. And that gets us to tonight's main scripture. And I'll share that with you in a, in a minute. Uh, I was telling Travis yesterday, yesterday morning, I wasn't even awake yet, and uh, I was dreaming. And uh, God gave me a dream and he don't do that very often, but it gets my attention when he does. He gave me a dream, and uh, I, I was dreaming that I was in a, a packed-out building. Uh, you know, I couldn't tell if it was like Thompson Bowling Arena or, you know, a building kind of like that, one of those big, big buildings, but it was packed. And then somebody walked up to me and gave me a mic and said, here you go. And I was like, what do you mean, here you go? And they're like, uh, the mic's hot and it's on you. You're you're up to preach tonight, and you know I wasn't ready for that. But I got the mic, and uh, the next thing I know, I started speaking. And the first thing out of my mouth was, "The servant of the Lord must not strive." You know that just came out of my mouth. And then I said, I just kept on talking, and I was talking to the crowd, and I said, "You believe in the virgin birth, and you believe that God became flesh." And, uh, you know, was born of a virgin and you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins on the cross, then why is it that you don't believe that you are a servant of God? And, uh, you know, that's all I said. And then I woke up and I thought about that all day yesterday. You know, God didn't save us just to be saved. And Jesus didn't die on the cross just for us to come to church. You know, we're all supposed to be witnesses for Christ. We should be telling people what Jesus has done for us. You know, you don't have to know the Bible back and forth. You don't have to have all the scriptures memorized. He wants us to be a witness. And all a witness does is, I can tell you what Christ has done for me. You know, if you've been saved by grace, then you have a testimony. And you can share that with other people. And uh, you can share, this is what Christ has done for me, and he will do that for you too. Uh, a good example of that is in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14. And it says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God? And uh, what that's talking about, that's comparing uh, Christ being our sacrifice. The verse before that was saying that the, you know, the blood of bulls and goats and heifers wasn't enough to redeem us. 
And then it says, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So that says it really well. You know, Jesus offered himself as a perfect sacrifice for us so he could purge us from our old conscience, our old nature, into his nature, so we could join him in serving the living God, reconciling people to God. And that's what he was doing. Uh, a good example of that is in Second Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. And it says, And all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself by, Christ, by Jesus Christ, and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Uh, so he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. Us. You know, all of us. Uh, not just the preachers. Like I said a minute ago, if you have been saved by grace, you are a witness. You have a testimony that could lead someone else to salvation. You know, somebody in your life would probably listen to you before they would listen to a preacher that they don't even know at church. It's up to us. God gave that ministry to us to reconcile people to God. And, uh, you know, that's not just by what we talk and the things that we say. That's actually, that's talking about the way we live, too. We're supposed to be examples for Christ. And we'll get into that here in a little bit, too. But uh, back to the main verse I was telling you about earlier, I want to go ahead and share those with you. Uh, the verses I'm talking about are in Second Timothy Chapter 2, verses 24 through 26, it says, And the servant of the Lord must not strive. That's the verse that I was dreaming about. But he, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth or believing the gospel. And they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. Uh, there's a lot in those verses. And, uh, you know, like, like we started with, and the servant of the Lord must not strive. That word strive in that particular verse, that means to argue with somebody. It actually means, if you look up the original meaning of it, it means to go to war and to fight and to dispute uh, what's right and who's wrong. You know, that arguing and fighting and going to war with people, that don't lead anybody to Christ. We talked about that last week in Romans 3.23. It says we're all wrong. We've all sinned and we've all come short of the glory of God. So, you know, disputing who's right and who's wrong, that is just useless. We're all wrong. And God is right. And, uh, that word strive, it's used 22 times in Scripture, but that is the only place it's telling us not to argue and fight with people. You know, all the other times it's shared, it's talking about working together or serving together towards a common goal. But that one definition is specific to, this, to that one verse, and it's telling us not to argue with people. Because if we take those three verses in context, it's talking about leading them to repentance. And uh, 
you know, we're not going to get anybody to repentance by arguing and fighting with them. You know, I told you the story last week about the family that came and invited me to church on the day that I got saved. And, uh, you know, they didn't offer anything to me but kindness. They didn't have any kind of judgment or requirements. They didn't have to make it a point to point out what I was doing wrong or how simple I was or even how bad I smelled. You know, they didn't do any of that. They're just a simple act of kindness of come as you are and Jesus will accept you right where you are. That is what got me up and got me to go to church with them that day. And uh, they said, if you'll just come on, you know, you're welcome the way you are. And Jesus will accept you right the way you are. And he did. And uh, just them being kind to me, you know, that, that changed my life. And uh, all that collateral damage that we talked about last week, that don't even compare to what we're talking about this week and the collateral damage that we can cause by being judgmental and self-righteous as Christians. Uh, I want to go over those verses again and explain them to you a little better. Second uh, Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 through 26. Uh, to me, it would be a good idea to have those verses posted somewhere on a post-it note or something so we can see them. I want to read them to you one more time. It says, And the servant of the Lord must not strive or argue or fight or try to prove ourselves right with people, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and they may, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. You know, if you really pay attention to those verses, they should get your attention. Like I said, I think it's a good idea to put them on a post-it note or something and keep it somewhere as a reminder. You know, this is how we should be sharing Jesus with people. And also, as a reminder, uh, like it says there in verse 26, that they're being held captive by the devil. You know, people don't choose to be that way. People don't choose to be simple. They're born with a sin nature, and they're blinded by the, the God of this world. Uh, they're being held captive. And when we see people that way, we see them in a different light. You know, we don't see them as enemies. You know, I can remember being held captive by the devil myself. And, uh, you know, if you've been rescued by the blood of Christ, then you know what it's like to be held captive by the devil, too. You know, what was your life like before Christ? I know what mine was like, and it was horrible. You know, it was like hell on earth for me. And uh, I want those that are still being held captive to know what Jesus has done for me. You know, I'm more than willing to share my testimony and to tell others what Christ has done for me. But I want them to know that Jesus will do the same for them, too. You know, I want my brother to know that Christ can do for you what he did for me. I want them to know that Jesus will take them just as they are. And the things that they think are impossible are possible in him. And the people that think they have no future, you know, I want them to know they have a future in, <coughs> in him. And those who think they've gone too far, I want them to know that nobody has gone too far to be saved. And the people that 
have given up hope. I want them to know that they can find hope in Him. But like we keep saying, the servant of the Lord must not strive. We've got to be gentle to all men and ready to teach and tell them about the love of Christ. You know, not the wrath of God. That's seem I don't know where the shift came in, but that's what the gospel has turned into. And that's what people think of when you tell them, you know, they need to come to Christ. They imagine, I mean, they automatically go to thinking about the wrath of God instead of the love of God and the love of Christ and what he's done for us. We have to be patient. You know, there's a big one. You know, was it? <clears throat> I know I was a hard one to deal with before Christ. And I thank God for the people that were patient with me. Uh, verse also says, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. You know, we don't have to oppose people. People are opposing themselves. You know, they don't know that they're destroying themselves. Uh, we talked last night in the Celebrate Restoration that they're living the only way they know how to live. They're surviving. People go into survival mode. And that's the only way they know how to survive because they don't know God loves them. They don't know a different lifestyle. We're supposed to gently and meekly and patiently introduce them to one. You know, they don't know they're destroying themselves. Like I said, they're blinded and they're deceived just like we were before Christ and they're being held captive by the enemy, the real enemy. You know, we can't see lost people as enemies. There's only one enemy, and that is the devil. Uh, Pastor Josh shared these verses on Sunday, and I want to share them with you again tonight. In Philippians 2, verses 4 through 8, you know, it's talking about, let this mind be in you that was in Jesus. It says, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. You know, we've got to stop being selfish and actually care what is going on in other people's lives. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So we have to let this mind be in us that was in Christ Jesus. And if Jesus himself thought it was necessary to humble himself, then we have to think it necessary for us to humble ourselves. And he became a servant. So, you know, if Christ is our example, we need to humble ourselves and become a servant. And, uh, you know, what makes us think that we're going to get anybody to salvation any other way than the way that Christ, you know, set an example for us to do? We're going to have to humble ourselves and consider ourselves servants. We have to see ourselves as servants to God by being obedient to God. But we also have to see ourselves as servants to the lost. You know, Jesus himself said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. He said he came to seek and to save the lost. And uh, we just read in Second Corinthians that he has given that ministry to us. That should be our duty 
once we come to Christ. Is to humble ourselves and see ourselves as servants, not only to God, but to the lost, and uh, be able to share the the good news of the gospel with them. And for a lot of people, that's hard for them to swallow. You know, our pride gets in the way. We don't want to humble ourselves, and we sure don't want to uh, consider ourselves a servant to lost people. But that's what we should be. You know, as long as we see ourselves as better than, you're not going to lead anybody to the Lord. And if you do think of yourself as better than others or better than lost people, you know, there's a good chance you need to take a good look at your own relationship with the Lord because nowhere in the Gospels does it say that. Nowhere in God's Word does it say that. You know, there's a list in Proverbs that I want to share with you tonight. It's in Proverbs chapter 6. And it's a list of things that God hates. Uh, actually, seven things that God hates. But somehow, we've worked into our culture, and we it's worked its way into the churches that these things are okay. And uh, the Bible plainly says these things God hates. And pride is on the top of the list. You know, pride is the number one reason that we don't share the gospel. But in Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19, it says, These six things does the Lord hate. Yes, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that be swift and run to mischief. A false witness that speaks lies, and he that sows discord among the brethren. You know, we read those things, and that those things are not foreign. We see those things all the time. Most of the time, uh, people don't have the courage to do that face-to-face -face with anybody. But you'll see it on social media. You'll hear about it in gossip. Uh, you know, that's why you see people as less than. You know, we categorize and we forget where we came from. If, and when we get to that place, that's a dangerous place to be because we're not going to think of ourselves better than other people and lead them to Christ. You know, that's why uh, we would rather gossip about their sin rather than come alongside them and lead them out of it. You know, that's what we're called to do. It says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. But, you know, we see more gossip than we see of that. You know, we're quicker to slander somebody than we are to help them. And uh, that's not what we're called to do. You know, we're not judges. We are sinners saved by grace ourselves. And we are transformed into saints by the free gift of God and by nothing else. You know, it's not by anything we've done. It's all a free gift from God. And uh, we don't have the right to judge people or think of ourselves better than them. But we do have the ministry of reconciliation that God has given to us. So how do we think that we're going to lead anybody to repentance by things that God hates? You know, that's a good list to keep, too. Is that Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. And remind ourselves, if I'm doing anything on these lists, that is things that God hates. And that's it's not okay. Uh, we can't lead anybody to the Lord that way. <clears throat> so like I said, 
I believe all of us have family members or friends or co-workers that don't know the Lord. You know, if we're honest, I think we all have people like that in our lives. I know I've got plenty of them in mine. So, you know, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 through 26, you know, that is how we will reach people. That's why I said it's good to have that where you can see it. And Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, is how you will not reach people. You know, that's hard to swallow, but that is the truth. Uh, you know, I've heard people say, well, I don't agree with their lifestyle. You know, there's a lot of things that I don't agree with either, but it's not our job to point out what's wrong. You know, if people are living in sin, they already know what's wrong. They don't need that pointed out to them. Uh, they already know what it is. Our job is to put on display what Jesus can do with a life full of sin. You know, it's my job once I've been saved not to point out the flaws of others, but to share the flaws that I had and Jesus took those away from me. Be the proof that they're looking for, that Christ can restore. Christ will give you a new life. You know, show them what Jesus has done, not what he will do, what he has done. And if we're displaying Jesus, uh, well, if we're displaying that Jesus can turn you into a judgmental, critical person, then nobody's going to want a part of that. But if we're showing the love of God and the forgiveness of God and the redemption of God in our lives, then maybe they'll take us serious in the gospel that we're talking about. And maybe they'll actually believe in the loving God that we claim that we serve. So it, it's important not only what we say, but how we treat other people. And uh, even if they are, you know, neck deep in sin and living a sinful life, the way to get them out of that is not to condemn them for being in it. It's to show them that there is a way out of it. They already know they're in it. And uh, they don't need to be reminded of that. I shared this work with you a few weeks ago, and I want to share it with you again tonight. Uh, back to Philippians chapter 2 and verse 15. And uh, that's what Paul is telling them here that you may be blameless and harmless to sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So our, our job is not to point out the sin in the world. Our job is to shine the light of Christ in the world. And, uh, you know, so let's put our gavels away and stop being judges and just let her light shine. You know, don't judge other people. Just share your testimony with them, like I said. And tell them what Jesus did for you. Like I keep saying, they already know where they are. They need to know the way out of where they are. You know, I know I used to have a, a life full of sin, and I know how I got out of it. And uh, that's what I'm supposed to share with people. And that's what I try to share with people. You know, like I keep saying, we don't have to point out the darkness. We just need to shine the light, and it'll expose the darkness. But if we don't show people the love of God, how are they ever going to believe in it? You know, we are God's people. Sometimes, you know, you may not see yourself as a child of God. You may not see yourself as a, 
you know, somebody's pathway to God. But we are the church. The church is not a building. The church is made up of people that have faith in Jesus Christ. We are the church. So if we want people to come to God, we have to be the examples for them. You know, there's nothing about this building that saves anybody. It's the way we, as the church of God, present him to them and let them know that you can come to Christ just like you are and he'll accept you and he will help you and that he will give you the new life that we're always telling people about. And the way that you can do that, like we just read in Second Timothy, is just by being a witness and tell them what God has done for you. Be patient with them if they're in sin. It's not our place to get them out of sin. It's our place to tell them God loves you right where you are. And uh, God will get them out of it. You know, I can't save anybody and you can't save anybody. But Christ can save everybody. And I know that's a short message, but like I tell you all the time, I'm not going to try to just fill up a time slot. I'm going to share with you what God has put on my heart. And that's what he put on my heart this week. Uh, it matters how we witness to people. And it matters if somebody is in sin, you know, we don't need to go around and talk about it. Pray for that person. Go talk to that person. Don't go tell somebody else about them. Go talk to them and tell them God has better things for you. You know, don't condemn them for where they are. Ask them, do you want help? Do you want to surrender your life to Christ? And if they say yes, then lead them into a relationship with him. And if they say, no, you've done your best. And uh, you can sleep good at night knowing you offered. And I'll guarantee you this, if they ever do decide to come to Christ, they'll come to you because you met them with love and not condemnation. And uh, they know that they can come to you and not feel threatened by what they're doing. And they know they can come to you and they'll be accepted, even though they're not right with God. And they know that you'll only be there to help them get their relationship with him where it needs to be. But I always try to give you, uh, if you're watching and you haven't given your life to Christ, I always try to give you an opportunity to do that. And if you don't know how to do that, all you got to do is cry out to God and tell him, I know I'm not right with you. I know I need a Savior. I know I'm a sinner and that my life is not the way it should be. And uh, just ask him to come into your heart and save you, and he will. It really is that simple. All you have to do is surrender your life to him. And, uh, you know, there's no magic prayer I can say with you and have you repeat, but I can share the scripture with you that tells you what to do. In Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, it says, If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So what that means is, if you have made a decision to give your life to Christ, and you've already told God and asked him to come into your heart, he's done that. But it says to tell somebody about it. You know, confess him with your mouth. Tell somebody, I've just made Jesus Christ my Lord. I've surrendered my life to him. And the Bible says, with your confession, that leads you into salvation. And uh, like I said a while ago, you know, don't let anybody tell you that you went too far, that you've 
been too bad, whatever the case may be, that you can't be saved. In Romans 10, verse 13, it says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I always like to share Romans 5, 8 with you too. It says, God showed his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God don't tell you to get it all together and stop sinning, get out of your sin, and then I'll save you. It says he sent Christ to die for us because we were sinners, because we needed a Savior. God knows we're all born with a sin nature. And uh, we just read in Romans 3.23 a while ago, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is no, he can be saved and she can be saved, but they can't and she can't and he can't. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know, we're all born with the same sin nature. Christ died for everybody. So don't let anybody tell you you can't be saved. God will meet you right where you are. All you got to do is cry out to him and ask him to, to save you, and he will do it. He did it for me, and I know he'll do it for you. But uh, that's my message tonight. Like I said, I know it's shorter than normal, but also, you know, I'm not going to just keep talking to fill up a time slot. I'm up here to share with you what God has shared with me, and uh, that was it for tonight. So thank you all for coming out, and thank you for tuning in. If you're watching online, let me pray for us, and we will be dismissed. Father, I just thank you again for the message that you gave me. Uh, Lord, I know it was moved strongly in my heart, Lord, and I just pray for everybody that hears it. I just pray that it would move strongly in their hearts too, God. Please help us to see the lost the way that you see them. And I pray that you help us to see our duties as Christians and followers of Christ for what it is, God. And Lord, I pray that you would help all of us, the ones that are here, the ones that are watching online, and the ones that will hear it on podcast. I pray that you help us all, Father, to look at our relationship with you and uh Lord, I pray that you'd reveal to us whether or not we are being the servants of God that we're supposed to be and being the witnesses that we're supposed to be. And Lord, I pray that you help us to look at our own lives and see if we're going to see if we're being the examples of a Christ follower that we should be. And if we're not, Lord, I pray that you would show us the areas that you would have us to work on. And I pray that you'd give us the courage and the trust in you to do those things. And Lord, above all, I just pray that you help us to, to share the love that you've given us with others. And I pray that that brings glory to your name. It's in Jesus Christ's holy name I do pray. Amen.